right. Good morning, Calvary Church. Thank you guys uh, for being here with us today. If it's your first time, we're glad you're here, and we'd love to help answer questions you have, uh, talk about ways that we can serve your family, partner with you, and so you can grab uh, one of us who's been greeting you, or myself, or there's a way in our bulletin to fill out one of the cards and indicate if you have any questions about our church or want to get plugged in, um, and we'd love to walk the road and walk that path and give you some more information. What we're trying to do together as a church is to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact others with God's love and truth. And as you think about the body, the amazing thing about our church is the multi-generational nature to it, right? That if you look around, man, there's a ton of diversity between ages, cultures. uh, And so we're just grateful that what we have the opportunity to do is not just for those of us who are 50 years old like myself and older, Um, Man, this body isn't just about us, right? Ultimately, what we want to be doing is to be allowing the next generation to come on and to follow in the footsteps and the legacy that's been here for years um, and to serve and to lead. And so uh, we're just grateful for the student worship team who is up here today. Um, And if... And that's great, right? Uh, It's an amazing opportunity to be served by and for us to be able to provide opportunities to the next generation of, man, emerging young adults who love Jesus and want to serve him. And um, that's an honor for a church to have that. And so we're grateful that we can uh, get you guys the opportunity to serve us and serve you by doing so. So thank you very much. Uh, And if you've never been on stage... Some of y'all will be thrown up right now, so it takes a lot of confidence for them to be up here. So uh, thank you guys for doing that. As we think about building a body, we want to provide opportunities for different <clears throat> groups in the body to connect. And so if you are a lady, uh, there's an opportunity for you. We have different ministries throughout the week we, that are, we have some opportunities for mothers of preschoolers. We have women's Bible studies throughout the week, and we have an opportunity for some of those different groups to kind of gather together and some ladies who may not be involved in anything. And so on May 6th, there is a women's brunch here at Calvary Church, a woman's brunch at Calvary Church. And it is not going to be a book study on like 42 ways to be a godly woman, okay? It's going to be a chance to just be in community and to connect and uh, build relationships with other ladies here at Calvary. And so if you're a lady, I'd love to make you aware of that. May 6th from 10 to 12 here at Calvary. If you're a dude looking to meet a lady, this is not for you. So come to men's night and let me beat you in basketball. That would be a better spot for you, all right? Um, And so we want to make you aware of that. And then also as we think about being a body who doesn't just connect, doesn't just celebrate the next generation, uh, but a body who also grows as disciples, we have some opportunities right after this service at about 1030 where we have uh, four to five, I can't do the math quick enough, different adult classes. And so there's information on that in the bulletin. I think they're going to be meaningful. If you're newer to Calvary, we're going to intro to Calvary class. That's going to walk through our doctrine, our strategy, our story, our vision, our environments, how we serve you, expectation for membership. And uh, just a little peek 
behind, we're, we're really working hard to figure out this membership thing, okay? Um, because since COVID, there's people who haven't been here for four years, and we don't necessarily know if they're still online and like they were members, but are they our members? And there's some of you who have been here for 75 years, but you're not a member. I get no bonuses for the number of members, and you don't get a gold pin. But what it really is, is it's you planting the flag saying that I feel like God is calling me to really be part of this body, that I'm making a commitment as part of my walk as a Christian, this is the local body that I'm going to commit myself to and pour into. And in response to that, we as a leadership team, as pastors and elders, man, we then know that we have the privilege of shepherding you and, you know, purposefully caring for you. And so uh, we're working through all of that and trying to really figure out what we do in this new season. But if you've been here a long time and not a member and are like, I don't know why I should be or what it is, I'd love to invite you to this class. Um, because God is doing great things, and we live in an era where we don't like to commit. Uh, we kind of wait for, you know, the, we, we miss fear of missing out. We don't want to miss out on a better thing, so we don't want to commit to this thing, and we want to wait to the last minute to see if so. But the Christian life is not a life that's meant to be a life trying to avoid commitment. Uh, the Christian life is a life that stands in contrast to that and says, commit everything to Jesus. And as part of that, as part of how Jesus will work in your life, is through you committing to a local body of believers. So, just want to make you aware of that, um, <clears throat> and there's information in the bulletin, and I would encourage you to pick those bulletins up. So let me pray, and we will move into the text today uh, that as, well, well, let me pray. Father, <clears throat> um, thank you for, man, these amazing young adults uh, who are at Calvary Church who are passionate in this generation to serve you and to love you and the strength of their faith. And we're grateful that in your kindness, you've provided to us amazing students and youth and young adults and 20-something. So thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the people who, for decades, have called this church home and have grown here and loved here and cared for other people here. Um, and just thank you for who you are. I pray this morning for those who are struggling with different challenges and hard moments. We know that you promised to be close to the brokenhearted, so... Uh, I pray that promise over them, Father, that you will be close to them in whatever they're going through. As we open up your word <clears throat> in a timely moment, uh, Father, there's nothing that this morning I can bring in my own power. And so we know the Holy Spirit uh, aligns with your word to impact our lives and to draw us to worship Jesus. And so we pray that that will happen this morning, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Um, well, it's been an interesting and kind of a timely week uh, when you think about... We're in a book of Revelation, if it's your first Sunday here, by the way. Book of Revelation. Um, and in a lot of ways, some of the topics we've been talking about this week have been uh, topics that we've been talking about in our sermons through the past several Sundays. I had the great time, opportunity this past week uh, to spend, man, an hour and a half, two hours with somebody who comes to Calvary. And a large part of that conversation was uh, just them asking and dialoguing about, hey, I'm watching the news, and I'm seeing a lot of stuff happening. <clears throat> and they just kind of went through a, a list of different things that are happening in our culture and our history and our moment. And their question was, hey, how do I process, like you're telling me about all these things in Revelation, and is this happening, right? 
And Jesus tells us there's always going to be bad things happening. There's always going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. That doesn't mean the world is ending. But at one moment, it will mean that the history of this world is ending. And the amazing conversation with this individual just processing through, how does this like, translate into what we're seeing today? Uh, and it was great to talk about that. And then towards the tail end of that, they moved into a conversation a little bit about what we talked about last Sunday. Last Sunday, we were in a passage that discussed that the story isn't going to necessarily get better for people who follow Jesus and are committed to him, that there's going to be persecution. And no matter what arrows and charts you have for the book of Revelation, there is Jesus setting our expectation that at some point, Christians are going to face persecution for their faith. And in a conversation um, that inspired me and challenged me, this individual was just earnest and passionate about their desire that if they ever face that, that their heart is to go through that persecution and honor Jesus well through it. Um, and there was a sweetness and a seriousness and a meaningfulness in that that impacted me. And what I realize, maybe what you realize, is that this is not just academic study, but whatever you study in the Bible is stuff that intersects with what we face in our daily lives. And so I had that conversation. The next day I came in, and I do what I, I'm not doing as much anymore, but started scrolling through my news feeds, right? I pretty much look at a bunch of different news sources from a bunch of different things, but, and man, it, it, I, it was a lot, uh, I don't know if you kept track with some of the things that have happened in the news this week or the past couple of weeks, but uh, it is not good stuff. Um, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of uh, crisis. And as I was processing through that, I mean, I literally started to get a little discouraged and my heart started to get a little heavy. And I'm like, man, like so much senseless violence, so much loss, so much uh, struggle for power that causes so much damage to so many people, so much greed that causes so much harm to so many people, and things don't seem to be getting any better. And my mood kind of matched the weather that is going on right now. I know, this is great. You're like, Smith, you should have preached this on a really sunny day. This isn't happening. But I really did. I started to get a little discouraged, a little depressed, and then I opened up the text for today. And this text is so timely for what I was processing and just thinking as I watch what's going on. And I am not saying that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, okay? I'm, I, I do think that every time the book of Revelation has been preached since like 1771, people were convinced that they were preaching and Jesus was going to come back before the sermon series ended, okay? So I'm not saying that. Um, but I am saying that the, the timeliness of what our text is today matched what I was thinking and feeling as I was weighing and processing what I was facing and what my friend was facing. And this morning, it may be timely for you. If you're processing hardships or if you're just processing the reality that things are broken and they're not getting better, then this story has, and this text has some hope and some words of affirmation. So our text today is going to be in Revelation chapter 11, verses 14 through 19. Revelation 11, 14 through 19. What we do at Calvary is we preach paragraph by paragraph through books of the Bible. And so last week we ended with chapter 11, uh, about verse 13. And so today we're picking up at 11, chapter 11, verse uh, 
14. And so let me, uh, let me read 14 and 15, and then we'll get into what God has for us. Verse 14. The second woe has passed, and behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then, verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Before we get into the exegetical interesting things about all this and how it fits in the chronology of Revelation and what we're moving towards, I just want to make sure we get the big idea of what that verse is, okay? There's all sorts of stuff about chronology of Revelation we'll talk about, but there's a big idea here we can't miss, right? And this morning, that big idea is a reason that you and I can have hope. This morning, the big idea of verse 15 is the reason and a reason that you and I can have hope. And if you're feeling discouraged, if you feel like things around you in your culture or in the world are just kind of wobbling out of control, if you're a person who doesn't watch the news because you're like, I can't... I, no, I won't raise hands. I would if I was teaching a class. But I know there's some of y'all who you're like, I am not watching the news. I don't want to watch Twitter. I don't want to, I'm not going to click on nights because because you can't, it, it's, it's heavy for you. And, and you don't want to know and you don't want to have what's going on in the world around you and the lives of people around you impact you. And, and if that's where you are because there's so much discouragement when you do, or if you're like me who is a news junkie, but like this past week, after about Wednesday, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to check the news once a day instead of like once every 22 minutes, right? And if you're a person who used to enjoy checking the news, but you're like, I, I just, it's starting to impact me in a way that I can't process. If you feel like life's out of control, if you feel like things aren't like they should be, if you don't want to pay attention to the news because it's too much for you, if you used to love the news, but you're like, man, I don't know how to process this, then here is the First reason, a reason for hope for you this morning that comes from this verse. The big idea of this verse is this, that one day Jesus will fix it all. Jesus will fix it all. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus will fix it all. That's the hope that we have as Christians. The hope is not in a political leader. The hope is not in us just trying to be nice to other people. The hope is not in all sorts of other things. Ultimately, the hope is in Jesus and that he is the one who will fix it all. This week I had dinner with somebody who made the comment that, man, they're going through some stuff in their life, and their comment is, this world is not like it should be, because they're experiencing it. It's not an academic exercise. It's not reading about a fallen world. It's going through pain and loss and hardship and waking up in the morning and realize this is broken. I was at another dinner this other week, again, with another Calvary some folks, and the comment was made, not in silliness, but in seriousness, like, man, Jesus just needs to come back. Because you know what? Jesus does need to come back. 
because I can't fix it all, and you can't fix it all, but there is somebody who can fix it all, and one day he will. No more wars, no more hate, no more abuse, no more addiction, no more unethical stealing your retirement funds because somebody's trying to get ahead in greed. Jesus will fix it all. And so we don't need to get trapped in hopelessness. We don't need to get trapped in that place because we have a hope of what is one day, what will come. And you as a Christian, you don't need to think that your best days are behind you. Because you know what? Your best days, they're ahead of you. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. I remember the guy that I used to pastor with in Savannah, he stole this from somebody. I don't know who he stole it from, but I'm going to steal it from him who stole it from somebody. He, he made this comment for non-Christians, right? This moment, this reality, this is the best that they will ever experience. But for Christians, this moment, this reality is the worst we are going to experience because better days are yet to come. Jesus will fix it all. So, so simple. Five words. Simple. Some of y'all are like, I'm just going to leave because I wanted some Greek to be broken down with, you know, aorist, principle, past tense. But these five words, if we can just grab them and anchor ourselves to them and cement ourselves to them and let the Spirit press this into our souls and our heart, man, there is encouragement that can come from these words. But that day... It's not today. It's not today. It's not today because of there's another reality we need to talk about. The text tells us in that verse we read, right? It says in verse 15 again, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. The kingdom of the world, ha- and you can flip to that verse if you don't mind. The kingdom, the f- verse 15 or whatever it is. <clears throat> Seventh day, kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord, right? There's talking about a day when these two kingdoms will merge and there will only be one kingdom, which will be Jesus' kingdom, but that describes what will happen. It's not describing what has happened today. That's a future reality. That's something that's coming down the road. But today the reality is that there's two kingdoms in conflict. There's two different kingdoms that are in conflict. The first kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus. And right now, this moment, at 9.35 in the morning, Jesus is ruling this earth. Jesus' kingdom is in place on this earth. Jesus is the king of this earth, but it's an already not yet, right? He is already ruling, but he is not yet 100% fully, completely, absolutely the only kingdom that is engaging and active in the world, right? So one kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus. But then it talks about this other kingdom that is the kingdom of the world. And it describes the kingdom that is run by the enemy of Jesus, Satan, that is opposed to the things of God and opposed to the people of God and opposed to the kingdom of God. And these two things are in conflict. 
Because Jesus is in charge, but he has not yet shown back up on earth to totally defeat and do away with the kingdom of this earth. And these people, they don't want anything to do with this. Two kingdoms. There's two teams that are right now existing. There's team Jesus and there's team not Jesus. Two teams that are in existence right now, two team Jesus and team not Jesus. And one day, Jesus is going to rule over it all, but that day has not yet come. And this day, team Jesus, not yet team Jesus. And, and here's the reality. Every single one of us in this room, we're on one of those teams. And, and there's only two options. You can't, right? It's like pregnancy. You can't be kind of pregnant. I know you all know that. I know it's silly to say, but it's true. There's no like kind of middle option. You either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. Team Jesus or team not Jesus. And every single person in the world, every single person in Fairfield County, every single person sitting on the blue chairs, every single person watching this online right now eating their French toast or who's going to watch it later in their car in some parking lot on their coffee break, we're either on one of those two teams. We're either on team Jesus or we're on team not Jesus. And we get on team Jesus not by trying hard, not by doing better, not by being nice more than we're not nice. We get in team Jesus by responding in faith to what Jesus did on the cross and his death as our substitute by being punished instead of us and for us so that we never needed to face the punishment of God and we respond in faith to that, to benefit from that and that's what puts us on Team Jesus. That's what determines who's on Team Jesus. It's not if we come to church. It's not if we were moved one time back when we were 12 years old and somebody was singing Amazing Grace and we raised our hand because we wanted Jesus in our heart. It's, because we've, it's not because we read a lot of Bible studies it's not because our grandmother was a Christian and so we think we're a Christian. It's only if we've responded in faith to who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross. And if you have Team Jesus, get you all a sweatshirt on the way out the door. Not really. Somebody's going to be like, I looked for the sweatshirts and I didn't find them. And, and if that's not the story, then according to the Bible, it's Team Not Jesus. And the question is, which team are you on? Which team are you on? There will be one day when there's no longer two kingdoms, when there's just one kingdom with just one king, and that's Jesus. And the text tells us then some truths about the coming of that kingdom that helps fill in some more details about the book of Revelation. <clears throat> so, Seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. So far, we've worked through, if you've been with us in the book of Revelation, we've worked through seven seals, and what we're seeing is that each seal that is symbolically being opened is linked with something that's going to happen on earth during the tribulation period. Then we moved into the seven, six trumpets we've seen so far. 
And those are probably additional things that are going to happen on earth during the tribulation period. And we're now at the seventh trumpet. So we've gone through seven seals. We've gone through six trumpets. We took a time out for some parenthetical information. And now we're on the seventh trumpet, the final trumpet. And when that trumpet blows, what most scholars think and what the text says is that that is going to be the moment when Jesus is initiating his return back to earth. At the that is when it's like, okay, Jesus has held back and Jesus has, God has waited to allow history and brokenness and fallenness and pain to continue. And I've said this a few weeks ago, but the reason that Jesus hasn't yet come back to fix it all is because Jesus wants everybody to have as much opportunity as they can to get on his team. Right? It says in 2 Peter, I believe, and I've said this before, the reason God hasn't yet come back is because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants as many people to come into a relationship with him where they will only know forgiveness and grace and peace and no more shame and no more opposition to God where they know acceptance by God. And he knows when they come, he comes back, if there's people who aren't in that, they're going to face punishment. And so God, it's like, when, it's like a parent, right, who's like, I'm going to count to three, but the parent counts really slowly. One. Now, don't y'all be that parent. Like when you get to three, you're like three and one, 90 seconds. Three and two, 90 seconds, right? But sometimes as parents, we're like, I know when I get to three, I'm going to yank my kid out of that play place. And, and, and I'm going to give them an opportunity to, to not face my punishment and the wrath of daddy, but to get where they need to be on their own. That's what God's doing. But one day in his sovereignty, he's going to say, enough, enough. It's time to fix it all. And on that day, symbolically, right, maybe actually, but, but this seventh trumpet is going to blow, and that's going to be Jesus preparing and starting to move to return physically back to this earth, physically return back to this earth. And in a few weeks later, uh, we're going to study the bowls. There's going to be seven more bowls that we're going to study, and they're going to have some things that seem similar to the seals and the trumpets. And most scholars think that those bowls that we're going to work through are all going to be linked into also things that are going to happen when the seventh trumpet blows. So seventh trumpet blows, last trumpet blows. That's Jesus is getting ready to literally return back to earth. And as he's preparing, as he's taking the steps, as he's coming back, there's going to be these events that are described in these bowls we're going to study that all happen with that. And most scholars think that when Jesus returns to earth, when the seventh trumpet blows, when all these bold things happen that we'll talk about, that that then structurally marks the end of the tribulation period in the book of Revelation. And now it's the period of Jesus reclaiming his kingdom. And if you've ever watched a movie, when the king comes back to reclaim his kingdom, there's a battle. There's a battle. Most scholars think when this moment happens, it marks the end of the tribulation period. There's still some things that occur with these bowls in it, but Jesus is making his way back town to earth. And every single prayer that has ever been said in the Lord's Prayer for your kingdom come, your kingdom come, will in that moment start to be answered. The Greek is very interesting, right? Uh, I don't know if you're an English scholar, but I'll give you a little lesson here. You don't need to jump on chat GPT to figure it out. 
The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. It's interesting. It's talking about a future event, right? Usually when I talk about future things, I'm like, after the sermon, I will go to Bagel King and get me a bacon, egg, and cheese, right? It, it, you expect a future tense. But interestingly, in the Greek, there's this little Greek technique they use that they're using the past tense to describe a future event because they're using that to highlight the absolute certainty that this thing will happen. They're saying it's as if it is so certain that this will happen, it's as if it already has happened. It has become because it will become, and it's underscoring the, the, the certainty of this. Here's the first truth, the first future truth from this. Jesus will initiate his kingdom on earth. There is a future moment when Jesus will initiate his kingdom on earth. And then the text tells us, some other future truths. It, see, it shows us the response to when this moment happens. When that moment happens, what's the response to that? Verse, let me, let me just keep reading. Verse 16. <clears throat> the, the trumpet blows, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is, for you have Taken your great power and begun to reign. Then verse 18 tells us his next future truth. It tells us the response to that. The nations raged. The nations raged. This word, when you see it throughout the Bible, nations is referring to people who are opposed to God, right? Not on team Jesus, not the people of God. And the response when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, what John's telling us is, look, the response is going to be rage. The people who aren't on team Jesus, it's this deep-seated anger. It's this deep-seated hostility. It's this resentment that the enemies of Jesus have to Jesus showing up and saying, hey, hey, I'm the king and I'm in charge. Later, we're going to see in the book of Revelation that these guys all get together and they're like, hey, Jesus will literally be on earth. You will see Jesus, okay? I don't know what he'll, I don't know if he'll be in a Tesla or cruising around, in a, but he'll be there. And all of these other people are going to see that guy and they're going to be like, uh-uh, Bubba, and they're going to try to amass an army against him. And we're going to study about that later on. But here's the second future truth, right? The first is Jesus will initiate his kingdom on earth. And the second future truth is that the response to that will be this, that people will respond to Jesus' kingdom with anger, <clears throat> disdain, and strong opposition. In the future, when Jesus establishes his kingdom, people will respond to Jesus' kingdom with anger, disdain, and strong opposition. And that's because there's something wired within them that is wired within me, that is wired within us, deep within us after Genesis, well, even before Genesis chapter 3. Because what is deeply wired within all of us is an opposition to authority over us. What is deeply wired in all of us is an opposition to authority over us. I want to be the authority of my own life. I, and you want to be the authority of your own life. It's wired in us. 
And if we don't, then then we kind of want to have the authority to decide what authority we'll let be over us, right? Within us is this opposition to authority, and we don't want to submit to it. We don't want to have anything to do with it unless we want to. And when Jesus showed up the first time in the king on the earth, and it's like, hey, I'm the king. Follow me. People are like, nope. We don't, want, we don't want you telling us what to do. We, don't, we want to follow what we want to follow. We don't want your authority. We don't want you. And so we're going to do everything we can to get rid of you. And when Jesus shows up again in the future, one future day, and says, hey, I'm the king. Follow me. There's going to be a group of people who say, nope. We don't want anything to do with you. We want to do what we want to do, and we want to get rid of you. Because within us, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to be the ones to decide what we do. We don't want somebody else in control over us. We want to be the ones in control. It's deep within us. There's this poem, famous poem called Invictus, and it has this line that maybe some of you have heard, this line, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I think that perfectly captures what so many of us, if not all of us, have within us that, no, 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 I want to be in charge. I want to determine it. Little kids have that within them, right? That I want to be the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul. I've told you probably a few times before, but I can remember trying to teach my kids to tie their shoes with laces. Laces shoes, right? And, you know, you reach that age where you as a parent are like, I do not want to tie another shoe anymore, and I don't know. I don't want to do those little Velcro (laughs) shoes. So you try to, you bring your kid over for a meaningful parent moment. And you're like, child, come to your father who loves you so much. Have an Oreo cookie. Sit down in front of the fire, and I will teach you the rite of passage to tie your shoe. And, you know, different regions of the country, different family traditions probably have the, okay, you take the lace, and the bunny runs around the tree to tie, or some of you are like, you know, we all have our little gimmick with a little kid, and we try to teach them. And somewhere in the middle of that lesson, you know what they say? They say, I can do it. Like, no, no, listen to me. No, no, I don't want to listen. I can do it, right? And they grab the shoe or they get, you're like, no, let me help you. Let me show you. Listen to how, I can do it. I can do it. And so they start trying to tie that shoe and they can't do it, right? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to do it. But instead of yielding, when you're like, wait, you're starting to make a knot, right? You're starting to get, it's going to be really bad. Let me help you. Let me show you how to do it. You need to listen to me what I'm doing, right? But they're not listening to you. You know what they're doing? They're just pulling those strings harder, Their solution is, I ain't going to listen to you, Dad. I can do this on my own. And when they start to realize that they can't do it on their own, their solution is to just do harder and stronger the very thing that's getting them in the very mess they end. So they just start yanking that 
laced like crazy. And then in about five minutes, there is this mangled knot that you need like a welder's torch and some sort of Navy SEAL knife to sort through to try to fix all those mangled, tangled, chaotic laces that they have just pulled together because they did not want to submit to someone else's authority because they wanted to do it themselves their way because they thought they knew better. They thought they knew the best way. They wanted to be master of their fate and captain of their own souls. And maybe this morning, some people in this room, your lives are in chaos. And they're not in chaos over shoelaces, but they're in chaos because of the same intent that leads to chaos as shoelaces, that you wanted to do it your way. You wanted to do it your way. And you wanted to be master of your fate and captain of the soul, and you're like, God, nope, I don't want your authority. I'm not going to submit to you. I'm not going to do it the way that you say to do it. I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And now your circumstances are a tangled, knotted ball of chaos. And you've done it your way. Like the Frank Sinatra song. Amazing song when I'm making my homemade spaghetti sauce that will beat anybody's spaghetti sauce in this room. (laughs) Beautiful song to listen to when you're cooking your garlic and the tomatoes are simmering. But when we try to live our lives doing it our way and not God's way, that's why some of you are facing what you're facing. Because you did it your way. And you knew God's way. Nope, I don't want to submit to his authority. I, I want to be decided the one who does what I do in terms of my relationship, in terms of my sexual choices, in terms of my finances, in terms of different substances I interact with, in terms of whether I tell the truth or not, in terms of whether I just filed taxes on which I cheated or not. I want to do it my way. Well, you did. And you're looking at a bunch of tangled stuff. And if that's where you are this morning, listen, don't keep pulling those shoelaces harder and just keep digging in stronger into the very thing that got you into the tangled mess that you're in. Stop. Because there is a God who loves you, who is abounding in steadfast love, whose faithfulness never ends, whose grace And forgiveness knows no limits. There's a story in the Bible that some of you may know, some of you may not know, about a dad whose son's like, forget you, dad, I'm doing my own thing. Old boy ruined his life. And when he started to come home to try to just like literally work as a slave in his dad's yacht, you know what his dad had been watching for him? Waiting for him? And when he saw his son, who wanted to do it his way, who had gotten lost everything, when that dad saw his son starting to come back home towards him, man, that dad took off and sprinted to go hug him, to go embrace him, to go let him know that, man, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness. Don't pull the shoelaces harder. There is a God who designed you, who adores you, 
who is standing ready and willing to forgive you, and if and as he sees you, turn back to him who is longing to run to you, to embrace you, to show grace and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance to you, who might not magically take all the circumstances and all of the consequences from you, but who will love you more than you've ever been loved in the middle of it. Man, it might be an opportunity for some of you to run back home to the dad who loves you. And if that's you this morning, then in his sovereignty, God has you in this room to hear these words because he's trying to get your attention with how much he loves you and wants you to return to him. If that's not your story this morning, that, man, we should be sobered by what can happen when we want to be the authority in our own lives and when we respond to Jesus' authority with anger, disdain, and strong opposition. That can take us to places that we don't want to be. I say this a lot. <clears throat> this can be a Peterism. You can always choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. I hate that. I hate that for people I talk to who come and they say what they're in and they're like, I never thought that this would end up be what happens because of the choice that I made. If you're not sitting with a tangled bunch of strings of choices that you made because you want to be in your own authority, and if things are good and you're obedience to God, then this should sober all of us. Hey, we're not the captains of our own fates. We're not the master of our own destinies. We are people who have an authority over us, and that authority over us is King Jesus, and he does know what is best for you because he made you and because he loves you, so why would we not want to listen to him? But within people is this opposition to Jesus' authority. And so, these people continue to rebel against God and the kingdom of Jesus, and what happens to those who continue to rebel? We see it in verse 18 again. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for dead to be judged, and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And other translations, if you have another translations, it might say, for ruining those who have ruined the earth. He, that's, a, that's a significant phrase. And things aren't the way they should be in this world. They're not. Some of you are struggling with addiction. Some of you are having to go to funerals in the next two weeks. Some of you got a test result with cancer the year ago, a month ago, a day ago. Some of you can't have kids. Some of you have lost babies. Some of you have had miscarriages. This, some of you have had spouses lie to you or parents beat you. This is the brokenness of the world. And the brokenness of the world is because we made a free choice to sin. We chose freely to do what we wanted to do. And as a result of generation after generation after century after century, what our sins have ended up doing is destroying the earth. We ruined it. 
And what God is saying is, look, this isn't the world that I want. I have a world I've created for you. And what God is saying is, look, there are people in a relationship with me who he's expressed, you will never face my wrath. You will only, if you're on team Jesus, you will face discipline from God for bad choices, but you will never be out of a relationship with God. God will always adore you. You will always be his child. You will never lose your salvation. You will never experience his punishment for your sin. You'll experience consequences because your sins have been forgiven, right? But what he's saying is for people who are rebelling against me, and the course and the result of their ongoing rebellion has been to continue to destroy things, man, judgment will come. Part of the end of the story is consequences for rebelling against God, and those consequences involve being separated from God for all eternity. And he's saying, look, their sin has destroyed the earth, ruined the earth, and there is going to be punishment that comes for that, for their violence, for the pain they've caused, for their hate, for the death they've caused, and the hurt. Here's the third future truth. In establishing his kingdom... Jesus will punish those who have not responded in faith to him and who have ruined his kingdom. But like I said before, God is waiting because he doesn't want that day to come. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And that's why he says things in, in the, throughout the Bible like, today's the day of salvation. If you hear my voice, come into my kingdom, right? It's like this wake-up warning call. Because God is a God of love who wants you to experience his love and never experience his punishment. For people who aren't on team Jesus, that's, that's not good. But there is good for people who are on team Jesus. Because here is what he says, and I'll invite the worship team to come up here. here here's the other part of verse 18, right? And it says, for rewarding his your servants, right? The nation's rage, your wrath came, time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants. All throughout the book, all throughout the Bible, right, particularly the New Testament, there are all sorts of verses and comments that talk about this reality. If you're on Team Jesus, man, there you are going to be rewarded for how you live your life. I know somewhere, I don't even know where this idea came from, but uh, in my generation, you were told, well, one day you're going to be in heaven, and God's going to get out a movie projector. He, even as a Christian, if you're a Christian, God's going to get out a movie projector. I think God's technology is a little more advanced than but God's going to get a movie projector, and there'll be a big screen. Do you know where I'm going? Have you all heard this? And everybody in heaven going to watch a movie of your life. And right now, when I'm six years old, I'm like, no! Oh! And they're going to see all the bad things you've done wrong, and God is going to punish you for that. If you're on Team Jesus, I don't know where that crazy idea created itself in Sunday school curriculum. What the Bible says is for those of you on Team Jesus, one day you're going to get to heaven, and God is going to look over your life. And for every moment that you stewarded an opportunity for his kingdom, you are going to be rewarded. 
For every moment that you surrender to his authority, not your own authority, you are going to be rewarded. For every time that you gave up something in this life because you were seeking first the kingdom of God, man, what God is going to say is, hey, I'm not sure. It's not going to be a movie screen of everybody with bad things. It is going to be a celebration of all the amazing things that you've done in your life for King Jesus, and you are going to be rewarded by a loving God who says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, and here's the Bentley that you can drive around in heaven with. (laughs) That's the truth. Maybe not the Bentley part, but that's the truth. Because if we follow King Jesus here, there is no guarantee of rewards on this earth. Right? Take up your cross and follow me. If a man isn't willing to give up everything in pursuit of me, this is, a, this is a life of sacrifice because we're seeking first the kingdom. And God's kingdom on this earth doesn't necessarily result in great things in our kingdom. But one day, someday, it will. And so what I want to leave you with and encouraging you with, right, for those of you on Team Jesus, keep pressing on. It is not in vain your love for Jesus, your service to Jesus, the time you are taking to teach your kids about your Jesus, Jesus, the time you tell the truth even when there's consequences to yourself, when you use your money because it's something God has given to you and you use it to steward it for his kingdom, when you give up what you, what you want to do because you know what Jesus wants you to do, when you read your Bible even when you don't want to, it is not in vain. Because Jesus is seeing what you're doing. And you may not be rewarded this day, but man, you're going to be rewarded one day. And won't it be amazing on that day for all the things that you've done that nobody else around you ever knew about because that was your service to Jesus and him alone when Jesus says, hey, I saw what you did on October 22nd in 1965 that nobody else knew about, well done. Here's your reward. Don't give up hope. Don't give up faithfulness. Don't give up integrity. Don't seek your kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Don't give up and keep pressing on. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for truth. And I pray for people who are in a position this morning and they don't even know why they're here, but they were here because you were trying to tell them how much you love them. And you want them to know that there is forgiveness and there is restoration. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts and return them to you. And Father, for those of us who are faithfully serving you, may we continue to be sobered about what sin can do, that we can't choose the consequences, and may we with joy, because of our love and affection for you, please you. And Father, will you give us encouragement by helping us know that what we do for you, you see. And even though nobody else does, you see it. And will that enable some of us this morning who are tiring of doing good because we feel it's for nothing to be willing to keep pressing on. Jesus, thank you that one day we were going to stand before you face to face and we were going to worship you and we were going to thank you and we were going to see you and that's going to be better than we can imagine. And until that day, will the Spirit help us persevere and thank you, Jesus, that you are authoring and perfecting our faith. 
Amen.